Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about what's going on in share markets, uh, not only in Australia, but around the world. Before I get into that topic, I would just like to take a minute to thank everyone that listens to this podcast uh, each week. Uh, As you can imagine, a lot of effort goes towards producing it. It's my own content. Uh, Unlike other podcasts, I don't have, uh, purposely so, don't have guests um, to sort of uh, uh, share the heavy lifting, I guess. Um, and I and I appreciate it, and uh, it is becoming more and more popular, which which I'm very proud of, uh, and it's uh, certainly uh, thanks to to you, the loyal listener. So thank you for that, uh, and of course, if you want to really uh, leave a rating uh, or uh, start following the podcast, that that obviously helps the ranking, and and more people will learn about it. So I appreciate it. Okay, so let's get into the share market then. Um, which I wanted to talk about uh, this week. Um, And essentially, you know, the calendar year, year year-to-date return in both the the share market and bond market have produced some of the worst uh, returns on record. In fact, looking back over nearly 100 years, uh, there's only been a couple of times uh, over that period of time where the bond market and the share market have produced such horrible negative returns. So it happened in 1931 and 1969, and apart from, and then obviously this year, 2022. So it really is a, a very unique market, um, and it's all just all, all bad news. Uh, in fact, I appeared as a guest on the Australian newspaper's uh, Money Cafe podcast last week, uh, and the um, editor that I work with there, James Kirby, uh, asked me, uh, you know. Are there any asset classes that have actually produced a positive return? And my answer was no. Commodity prices have uh, come off. Um, Gold prices have come off. Bond prices have fallen substantially. Share markets have fallen substantially. Um, Infrastructure's fallen. Property's fallen. Residential Australian property has fallen. Although I should note that um, if you look at median house prices, uh, they're about the same value that they were 12 months ago, but certainly this calendar year they've fallen sharply. Uh, and p- perhaps the best performing asset class would be cash. Uh, you know, put your cash in the bank and you earn very little return, probably more return today giving, uh, given that r- rates have uh, risen substantially, uh, but, but certainly not shooting the lights out return-wise. But cash has probably been the best asset class in terms of performance uh, this calendar year. So a really horrible year, but very unique year. And so what I wanted to do today is just talk about some of the risks or issues that the market is contemplating at the moment that's producing these really poor results. And then once I've done that, I'm going to finish off by giving you some good news and talking about which geographical segments, which share markets uh, exhibit the best opportunities for future returns. Okay, so the we probably won't see um, a sustainable uh, share market recovery until equity markets can um, ascertain what the terminal cash rate will be. Now, the terminal cash rate will be is really the um, the peak cash rate. So, how high do interest rates need to go in order to get inflation under control? And if it turns out that that cash rate is lower than what the market has priced in, then the market recovery could be quite strong. 
uh, if it ends up to be the same or even higher, uh, the market can still recover because uncertainty is still priced into the market, but at least then they can get their head around you know, what that might be. In Australia, the market has priced in a terminal cash rate of 4%. Uh, we're at 2.6 at the moment in terms of RBA cash rate. Uh, and uh, so it looks like that the market has certainly overcooked interest rates here in Australia. And, and once we learn what the terminal cash rate will be here in Australia, it's quite possible the Australian market will recover, or, or, although there's a whole bunch of other things that could impact the, the, the market during that time. And in the US, they're toying with a terminal cash rate uh, or Fed's funds rate uh, of between 45 and 5%. They're currently at early 3%, uh, so they've potentially got uh, some way to go. Uh, the the actual amount, uh, I'm going to say the actual amount of the cash rate, so what that terminal cash rate ends up being, uh, is less important than really um, the certainty about what that terminal cash rate is. So the uncertainty around it, uh, will it be much higher, will it be much lower, that's what creates the volatility. Uh, and then until we can get ahead around that, we you know we really don't know or we can't expect a sustained recovery in, in share markets. Uh, conceivably, we might have to wait until the end of this calendar year, start of next year, uh, for the market or for the terminal cash rate to become more ascertainable. Uh, so I, I suspect we'll probably continue with the volatility for at least the rest of this calendar year. The other thing that the markets are contemplating is recessions. And if so, is it a deep recession? Is it a shallow recession? Is it a technical recession? You know, how bad will it look? Uh, and that is linked to the terminal cash rate, of course. If the terminal cash rate is going to be higher for longer, uh, then that's going to cause some economic pain. Um, however, if the central banks can pivot uh, and uh, hold rates at a certain level and wait for the data to come through about whether they're going to be effective... Uh, and manage it, manage it perfectly that, you know, they, they tighten the economy and slow down growth uh, only enough just to curb, curtail inflation, but not too much to cause a recession, uh, then we'll be okay. Of course, uh, central banks have risen rates uh, almost faster than any other time in history uh, without the data to, you know, ascertain uh, whether they're effective and how effective their tightening might be. So therefore, there is a downside risk that central banks will tighten too much um, and it'll be too late by the time the data comes through about the impact of these uh, rate hikes. It might be too late. You know, they might have already tightened too much by that stage. Uh, so I see that the rhetoric really with central banks is changing. The RBA uh, increased uh, only by a quarter of a percent uh, last month and they might do another quarter of a percent in November. Uh, and even the um, Federal Reserve in the US is suggesting that they might start slowing the pace of interest rate increases. So that's a good sign that they're going to wait for more data um, to, to demonstrate that, you know, that, that interest rates are working. Uh, we saw labour figures, uh, labour market figures in Australia uh, last week, released last week, and, and growth in the labour market was a lot slower than what the consensus was going to be. Uh, and uh, seek release their uh, job ads figures uh, also towards the end of last week, uh, and th they're coming off as well. So it looks like that there's some um, very early signs that these uh, interest rate increases are, are working in Australia at least, uh, and that's kind of good news in terms of interest rates that we might be getting closer to that terminal 
cash rate than further away. Of course, the big news and the big uncertainty and the big geopolitical risk is will there be a nuclear war in uh, Europe as a result of uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine? Uh, And of course, I'm not a geopolitical expert by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but any sort of uncertainty worries markets. So uh, what will the impact be of a of a nuclear war or even a World War Three, I'd imagine it would cause a lot of volatility um, and it's really hard to predict what impact it might have on share markets uh, other than looking back almost 100 years ago to see what uh, impact other world's wars have, have had but uh, you know every time is different and uh, certainly if we're talking about nuclear war it's um, it's pretty worrying so uh, but there's nothing we can do as investors. You know, we can't overreact to these potential risks. Uh, and as long-term investors, we know that if we've been investing for 100 years, you know, over that time, uh, returns have been uh, uh, pretty good and pretty predictable, I would say. So let's talk about the good news. Uh, and the good news is that uh, when markets face uncertainty, they tend to price in maybe not absolute worst-case scenario, but tends to be quite worst-case scenario. So they they tend to price in all the risk. And I would argue that a lot of these risks that I've just spoken about have been, uh, if not fully, mostly priced into current share prices. So the um, share market has come off 25%, the, the US share market, since January. Uh, and uh, that's mostly driven by a reweighting of valuation multiples rather than earnings. In fact, uh, we're in the middle of third quarter earnings announcements at the moment and, and really they haven't been that bad, not, not nearly as bad as what the market might have expected. So uh, at a sort of macro level, underlying corporate earnings uh, remain quite robust. I mean, they're still down a little bit and interest rates will have an impact, of course, um, but they're still pretty robust. It's really a reweighting of valuation multiples, which is really uh, factoring in the risk uh, into the market. Uh, and I'm talking about um, fundamentally sound companies here. Of course, there's a whole lot of zombie companies. Uh, zombie companies are the ones that uh, really don't have the cash flow uh, to, to fund borrowings. Um, uh, I'm not talking about them, of course. They've fallen a lot in value, those those type of companies, and they really probably don't have the fundamentals to ever recover. Okay, let's talk about the geographical markets then that exhibit the best opportunities for future returns. Uh, and I've utilised some data that's uh, produced by a research house called Research Affiliates uh, in the US, and they use a, a variety of tools um, and uh, approaches and methodologies to really predict the, the probability of uh, future returns in different markets. Um, and, and a lot of these tools and, and methodologies are, are generally accepted, have been peer-reviewed and so forth, and, and they tend to have a a high correlation uh, rate. So they're not a perfect predictor, but they, you know, they've got a very high correlation rate, 70, 80%. Um, so it's a good indicator of, you know, perhaps where should we not um, be placing massive bets uh, because you never know when the returns transpire, but um, where can we tilt our investments towards to expose our portfolio to potentially higher returns over the next 10 years? And these predictions really are uh, longer dated returns, so average returns over the next ten years, and the best um, uh, the best uh, sub asset class is emerging markets. Uh, as you can as you can imagine, emerging markets have been uh, really smashed over the last uh, year year and a half. 
Um, you know, a lot going on with China, of course, and trade tensions and, um, uh, you know, bringing uh, manufacturing onshore in the US and so forth. But a lot of the investment thesis is all thematics that made in, uh, emerging markets investable 12, 18 months ago uh, still present today. You know, they, they still have weight today in terms of um, uh, benefiting from their massive scale. You know, 1.4 billion people in China, another 1.4 billion people in India. Um, uh, they, can, they can produce uh, a lot of economic growth coming out of those countries over the next period of time. Uh, plus also if our starting point is very low valuation multiples, which it is at the moment, emerging market valuation multiples are incredibly low, uh, then future returns are likely to be high. And the modelling from research affiliates suggests that the 10-year return has a 70% probability of being between 95 and 15.7%. Now you've got to be careful with emerging markets. You wouldn't put huge amounts of money into them because they can be more volatile. But really, that's the best sort of sub-asset class that exhibits the best returns. Uh, Australia is next. The Australian market, 18 point, eight, sorry, 8.4 to 13%, 70% probability of between uh, being in that range over a 10-year period of time. So they're compounding returns. Europe, uh, 7.2 to 11.8%. Then the UK, 5.3 to 9.5%. Uh, the US is next, 41 to uh, 8.9. Japan is uh, close to the bottom uh, at uh, 3.7 to 9%. Uh, and just international markets, just the MSCI index is 3.3 to, to um, 7%. So it sort of shows that if you're going to be very indexed and just go the developed market index, uh, that's not actually necessarily going to expose you to the... To the um, the sectors uh, that are likely to generate better returns, noting that you, the US being the biggest developed economy uh, in the world is likely to underperform uh, expectations over the next 10 years. Um, and that's really just because of its sort of starting point and it's got some, some of those zombie company exposures in there as well. So by now, as a loyal listener, you'll know that I use an evidence-based uh, approach towards investing, which uh, often means a, a low-cost rules-based approach to investing in share markets, so indexing. It's important to point out that different indexing strategies will perform differently in different markets, depending on the different opportunities markets present. So, for example, the data from research affiliates suggests that uh, value is likely to outperform growth over the next 10 years by circa 2.5%. So using a indexing methodology that um, tilts towards value will likely then also produce that um, outperformance, but also, um, and I think quite importantly so, uh, reduce the overall portfolio's risk. So really in summary, the market is terrible and there really is no good news in terms of year-to-date returns. Uh, and really every asset class has um, uh, really had a, a, a pretty poor year. It's quite possible that if you invest in the market today, you may not actually be better off in 12 months from now. However, if you take a longer-term approach and use evidence-based methodologies that are low cost, it's very likely that in 5 to 10 years you'll time, you'll look back at 2022 and think, gee, it really offered some great investment opportunities. So at the moment, it's really difficult to see anything other than risk. 
Um, but really, in reality, if we look at these longer-term trends, there really are great investment opportunities at the moment, although uh, you have to leave room for the possibility it's, it's not uh, absolutely possible to buy at the bottom. So if you start investing, it's possible that you'll uh, rack up some losses before they turn around. But in the long run, five to ten years, uh, if you do it correctly, a good chance of you generating some really healthy returns. Okay, so that's it for this week. I hope that gives you a bit of insight to what's going on in the share markets. Uh, Until next week, bye for now.